Good morning, and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Saturday, February 10th. On today's show, disenfranchised millennials feel locked out of the housing market, according to top economist Mark Zandi. Plus, we'll discuss the economic challenge of shifting energy paradigms from coal to clean. And Canada's job market exceeded expectations in January, adding 37,000 jobs. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with a look at the American dream, specifically homeownership, and how it has become a challenging reality for millennials. From graduating into the post-2008 job market to facing housing affordability at 40-year lows and mortgage rates near 40-year highs, millennials are grappling with a unique set of circumstances. Here to discuss this further is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you tell us more about the challenges millennials face in the housing market? Certainly, David. Millennials have had a tough time in the housing market. They've faced two major economic events, the great financial crisis in 2008 and the pandemic in 2020. Both of these events had significant impacts on their financial stability and ability to afford a home. The Great Recession saw the real estate market crumble, while the pandemic led to a remote work boom that caused housing prices to skyrocket. And how does this affect their perception of their financial lives and the economy? According to Moody's chief economist Mark Zandi, the anxiety millennials feel about potentially never owning a home colors their perceptions about their financial lives and the economy. If they feel locked out of homeownership, it affects their views on everything else going on in their financial lives. What could be the political implications of this situation? Zandi suggests that if the affordability crisis in housing isn't addressed, young people who already feel disenfranchised could lose faith in the economy and express their frustrations at the ballot box. If affordability worsens and their prospects of becoming homeowners diminish, it could undermine President Biden's re-election bid. But there seems to be some hope with mortgage rates coming down. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, mortgage rates have been coming down, currently hovering around 6.8%. This gives prospective buyers hope that the housing market may become more manageable. Zandi says that when interest rates are at 6%, people feel like they have a chance of becoming homeowners. Although the current rate is still a far cry from the 2.6% rates in January 2021, they are expected to keep declining. What does homeownership mean to millennials? Homeownership is more important to millennials than it was to their parents at the same age. It's a way for people to insulate themselves from other forms of economic turmoil. It's also a critical source of wealth building. The typical homeowner's net worth is 40 times higher than someone who rents, according to the National Association of Realtors. What about the older millennials? How are they faring in this situation? Older millennials are particularly affected. They entered an exceptionally challenged housing market at the same time they were saddled with exorbitant student loan debts and a recession. One housing executive estimates homes are so unaffordable that incomes need to rise by 55% to keep pace with prices. Failing to own a home can have long-term effects on an individual's lifelong financial standing. Thanks for that insightful report, Bella. 
Speaking of important economic issues, let's turn our attention to the transition to renewable energy, which is set to have a significant impact on job markets in the United States. While some areas will see a surge in well-paid jobs in the renewable energy sector, others could face a catastrophic loss of fossil fuel jobs if not properly addressed and planned for. James, a correspondent for Simply Economics, is here to discuss this further. Can you tell us more about this situation? Certainly. The US is home to 1.7 million fossil fuel workers. However, until recently, there has been a lack of data about exactly where these jobs are concentrated and which areas will be hit the hardest by the energy transition. To address this, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology conducted a study that shows which job markets are most closely tied to fossil fuels and therefore most vulnerable to the clean energy transition. And how is this information expected to be used? The researchers have created what they're calling an employment carbon footprint map. This can be used by policymakers to properly support the counties that will bear the brunt of this economic shift, ensuring a just transition. This is crucial as the transition is already underway, with over $110 billion in clean energy manufacturing investments announced in the year after the Biden administration enacted the Inflation Reduction Act. What about the creation of new jobs in the renewable energy sector? As of July last year, these investments had already created more than 170,000 clean energy jobs. The U.S. Department of Energy's annual employment report shows that more than 40% of all domestic energy jobs added in 2022 were in clean energy. However, there are still significant pockets within each state that are at risk of being left behind by the transition. So, what does this mean for the counties that rely on fossil fuels for their livelihoods? The transition could be devastating for these counties. The MIT study found that there are many counties highly dependent on fossil fuels that are not currently eligible for support from the Inflation Reduction Act. Furthermore, the rapid addition of clean energy jobs has resulted in a major skill gap. It won't be as simple as moving unemployed fossil fuel workers into new green energy positions. What's being done to address this skill gap? At present, there is a high demand for renewable energy workers but a shortage of trained workers to fill these positions. This threatens to derail the US's planned build-out of renewable energy production and manufacturing capacity. Greater support is needed for both renewables and fossil fuel workers to facilitate a smooth and just transition. Thanks for the insights, James. Speaking of complex economic issues, let's shift our focus to the Canadian economy which is showing remarkable resilience nearly two years into a cycle of steep interest rate increases. In January, the economy added 37,000 jobs, far exceeding expectations, and the unemployment rate fell for the first time in over a year to 5.7%. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent, Celeste. Can you tell us more about this strong jobs report? Certainly, David. The jobs report for January indeed shows a resilient economy. All of the gains were in the services producing sector, which added 60,400 jobs. This offset a loss of 23,000 jobs in the goods producing sector. Major contributors to the gain were trade, finance and real estate and educational services. On the flip side, accommodation and food services lost 30,300 jobs, indicating that consumers are cutting back on discretionary spending. What about the labor force participation rate and wage growth? 
the labor force participation rate fell slightly to 65.3%. Average hourly wages grew by 5.3% on a year-over-year basis, a slight drop from the previous month's 5.4%. However, wage growth has been above 5% for seven months, which could give the Bank of Canada pause when it comes to rate cuts, as high wage growth can prolong inflation. How does this wage growth break down across different income levels and genders? Those in the top quartile of income seemed little affected by the slowdown, with wage growth for this group reaching 5.9%. Wage growth for women reached 6.2%, higher than men's at 4.4%. Were there any concerning signs in the report? Yes, there were a few. The economy added 48,900 part-time jobs while shedding 11,600 full-time positions. The job market is becoming more challenging for junior-level job seekers, evident by the rise in youth unemployment and part-time employment. In addition, the labor force participation rate for female youths fell to the lowest level since 2000. What impact might new limits on international students have on the labor market? The new limits, which aim to reduce the number of international students and their spouses by 35%, will restrict the labor supply. This could keep the unemployment rate low and wage growth higher than expected. What's the takeaway from January's job market report? The report shows a Canadian economy that is still resilient, even though the gains were mostly concentrated in part-time work. The stronger-than-expected report gives the Bank of Canada flexibility to wait until June for its first rate cut, but an earlier move could be more beneficial for the economy. Thanks for your insights, Celeste. Now, shifting our focus to a pressing issue, racial wealth disparities in the U.S. have reportedly increased since the pandemic, according to a paper from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. The research suggests that the wealth gap between different racial groups has widened due to the rapid growth in the value of financial assets more commonly held by white individuals. Here with us to delve deeper into this issue is our correspondent. Can you explain the findings of this research? Certainly, David. The researchers from the New York Fed examined the period from 2019 to 2023. They found that the wealth gap between racial groups increased during this period, likely due to the rapid growth in the value of financial assets more often held by white individuals. These assets include businesses, equities, and mutual funds. Meanwhile, the value of assets typically held by Black and Hispanic people, such as pensions, had not recovered to their pre-pandemic levels. What about real estate assets? How have they factored into this wealth disparity? The study found that real estate assets owned by white people grew in value quicker than those owned by Black and Hispanic people. This further contributed to the widening wealth gap. Can you give us some context on the wealth distribution among these racial groups? At the beginning of 2019, Hispanic and Black individuals constituted 18% and 13% of the study population, respectively, yet they held just 2.7% and 4.9% of total net worth. In contrast, white individuals who made up 69% of the population held 92.4% of the net worth. And how has this wealth disparity evolved over the years? The research found that the cumulative growth in real net worth from 2019 to 2023 was greater for white people. Between Q1 2019 and Q3 2023, white people's net worth was growing nine percentage points faster than Hispanic people's and 30 percentage points faster than black people's. 
That's a significant disparity. What implications could this have for the economy and society at large? Such racial wealth disparities can have far-reaching implications, from affecting access to quality education and healthcare to influencing social mobility. It's a complex issue that requires comprehensive policy interventions to address. Indeed, a complex and pressing issue. Thanks for your insights, Abby. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.